Courtney and Derek Guggenberger. Thank you guys for doing this. Appreciate you taking the time, man. Cheers. Cheers. Absolutely. I love the aesthetic of this place that you guys have. It's, it's fantastic. And one of my favorite questions to always start is, uh, what's the origin story of Guggen House Brewing? Yeah, well, it goes back to 2012, maybe even before that. But Derek brewed like a Mr. Beer kit one time when we lived in our apartment in Broderpool. And then, uh, and he just graduated college. Um, and then we moved to Germany for a year. And that's where we fell in love with beer. He provides, and he can talk more about that. But we lived mm -hmm. over there, the whole community around beer. Um, and we were able to experience it for a year around the same time. My twin sister, Abby, and her husband, Ryan, lived over in Denver. And they got to do the same thing, go hiking in the evenings, go to breweries in the afternoon, or other way around. But they <laughs> go to the breweries. And it's just like a community around beer. And they started homebrewing as well. So it's kind of like cool because we both got to fall in love with it in our own ways. And then we moved back to Indianapolis in 2014, um, 2013-14, and started making a business plan and really like stepping up the homebrewing game. We really just, we, we knew for a couple of years even before we opened that we were one that opened breweries. So we would, I mean, it, it became a lot. Like we were brewing, it was two, two times a week, you know, just at home, evenings, um, and then doing that for like two years straight. Basically, just perfecting a lot of recipes that we knew eventually that we wanted. Yeah, you guys have 15 going at any one time, right? It, it does, it's usually at least 15, it fluctuates sometimes. Like right now, it's 13. But we're putting two more out tomorrow, so we'll be right back up All to right. Very nice. Well, like I said, I love the aesthetic of this place. How'd you guys get connected to the Boyle Shaw and mm -hmm. putting the racing thing together in this historic old building that goes has a lot of race history to it? Yeah, so back in 2015, it was actually like January 1st of 2016, we met with the group that was looking to save this building. But for about a year, we were finishing our business plan and starting to look for locations. And originally, we were looking at Broderpool because that's kind of what we knew. That's where we lived. That's sure. where we homebrewed. Um, and then we had met with, I think, a like, financial planner at the time who was really connected in the brewing industry and had heard of this group of racing enthusiasts trying to save an old build, like historic building from complete city demo. Uh, and they were looking for kind of an anchor tenant to grasp on to the, the idea that they had um, to kind of bring it back to life. Um, and so we thought it sounded interesting, probably bigger than what we had imagined in the beginning. <laughs> and then we came and saw the space and it was, I mean, it was, imagine this, but like there was a skylight kind of hanging down. The windows were all broken and like vines growing in. It was beautiful in its own way, um, but it was completely like dilapidated completely. Yeah, roof had caved in and it was, it was rough shape. There was a carport over, I mean, it used to be office buildings back there and a carport from this main building over to the house. And so it was like all one connection. It was just, it was nuts. So that's how we got the connection though. Um, Very nice. Way back when. And then we kind of made it our, well, it is part of our job to help keep that legacy alive. Sure. How long did it take you guys to completely revamp this place the way you got it to where you're ready to open the doors? Um, well, we started in, so 2016, we said, yes, let's go down this journey. And in 2019, so about two and a half, three years later, we opened the house, which we had blueprints for this the whole time. But I mean, this is a 20,000 square foot building that we're in right now. Right. Um, and for many reasons, it just took a lot longer than we ever planned. 
and so we switched gears a little bit into the project to restore the house, which was going to come later initially. So then we brewed over there in the basement for two years on two tuberal systems um, and squeezed as much as we could out of that during a pandemic, outdoor seating only and all of that. So it took a while, and it, but it, for us, I mean, it worked out. I kind of believe things work out the way they should, and the fact that we were able to open in the house, and then there was a pandemic, and we were able to at least grow like a, a good amount of loyal um, customers and friends through that allowed it to be successful when we opened up over here. Yeah, because that was the first time I came here. It was kind of, we were right in the thick of it. Yeah. <laughs> Not there, but it's been crazy, man, because uh, I was still traveling on planes as this thing was jumping off, and it was uh, it's crazy how, you know, has that made, uh, you know, going through that experience, has it made uh, being a brewery owner a lot different than you thought it would? I, don't, I think it just gave us perspective, and it's like, I mean, that was obviously scary. We opened in June of 2019, you know, that March, it was like St. Patrick's Day, we got word that we had to shut down. And so it was just, and it was two, our full-time jobs, we were the first to quit. So I think it was just, a, it was terrifying in many ways, but things just um, gave us a good perspective, kind of, it gave us a good foundation for that we know as a business that we can turn um, and be, what's the word I'm looking for? versatile and kind of change with times as needed. I mean, we, we switched from, you know, having our little tap room to, to online ordering within like two days because we knew we needed to have that in order to push out the beer that we were making. And, mm -hmm. um, That's interesting. Getting back to the beer, what is, uh, you know, I always love uh, the creativity of this space and that's always emblematic in the names of the beers. How do you guys come up with the names of your of your beers? It's, I love this answer because I get such a wide range. Yeah. So what is what is the Gugman House style of selecting names mm -hmm. for your beers? How do you think we name beers? What have you heard from other people? Well, I hear people have some music influences, okay. some just if they have a thought, random thought one day, they just throw it up on a on a whiteboard. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you know, Taxman has obviously the, the pun mm -hmm. intended from the tax world, uh, but I've heard wide ranging because everybody's uh, mash craft wants to go just kind of plain because they got cease and desist letters every time they would oh, throw really? something yeah. out or, or yeah. the name that already existed. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you guys have German influences, so but there's it's it's a yeah. different style. Everybody sometimes says no style. I just yeah. thought of it one thing. No, yeah, we do. It's just funny to hear how other people do because I imagine it's all it's like pretty pretty the same. So we have a nature influence. I mean, if you look at the name of our beers, especially our experimental. New England's it's all like exploration adventure and that's kind of the, the theme and the feel we wanted to bring here anyways especially from like Germany and Denver um, but we've done over 75 hazy, like unique hazy IPAs so we've literally named all of them except like we have New England 1 and New England 2 <laughs> and that was like from when we first yeah. opened and then we decided we needed to make a name which is fun because like I think number 29 we just brought back today. And so it has a name and a label and everything now. Um, well, yeah, so for a while, we, like, we put this like giant list together of, well, that's we, 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 we think of names and put them on a list. And then basically as we make new beers, we kind of see what kind of matches up with it. Yeah, we have a big Google Doc that has like milkshake <laughs> names, hazy IPA names, American IPA, because they all have a little bit, like our milkshakes are more beach focused. Um, I usually, if it's one, a bigger one that we know we might want to distribute down the road, obviously make sure that it's not taken. Mm -hmm. um, some names, you know, a hundred other people have them. So, um, yeah, it's hard to name. 
a beer. <laughs> we have to come up with one after this for a beer we're releasing tomorrow. So. Oh, very nice. Yeah. But it's fun. I mean, it's fun to see it come to life and like take on its own, like foggy trails. It's a fun one. It's like everyone knows it now, and it kind of takes on a life of its own. Oh, that's great. Well, let me ask you, what was the first beer that hooked you? A craft beer, you know, people that have heard me on the podcast before, it was like, I was in college, you know, you're just buying the cheapest thing, you know, it's like a case of natural light for 13 bucks, but then I had a fat tire, and I was like, hmm, this is different, and that kind of led me down the reds to the browns and all the other things. What was you guys' first beer that hooked you? Yeah, well, a similar story here was, you know, in college, it was the, you know, domestic beer. Um, you know, if it was a special occasion, you get some high life or something, you know. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, really, it was when we moved over to Germany. Um, I, I drank a German Hefeweizen for the first time. I just fell in love with just the amount of flavor you could have out of a beer like that. And so, for me, you know, that started it. You go to the beer stores over there, and they just have an entire pile of, you know, just Hefeweizen. And so, did a lot of, you know, research, drinking yeah. one or two of these days. I love that. It's a different Ritter Sport chocolate bar every day, too. Yeah, that's really what kind of got me going. Okay. How about you? That's a good question. I don't even know. I think about that. I should know. I don't honestly know. I drank a lot of Pilsner's when we were over there, but that was like the festival beers. And that, I did not fall in love with that style, but it kind of like tamed my palate. I think trained a little bit to be able to accept different beers. Because, I mean, back then, that was already, that was 10 years ago. So it was really just starting. Now I like hazy IPAs, those are my, my thing. Very nice. Well, having lived in Germany, you know, obviously everyone hears of the, you know, the beer festivals over there. Give me a, kind of a backdrop as to if you experience going to a beer festival while you guys live there for the year and how they compare to what we do over here. They're probably nowhere near the same. Well, so over there, it's like a, there's always a reason for a celebration. Whether it's wine season, and we lived in the wine area, but, but it's beer season everywhere. And so, sure. like, whether beginning or end of the season, there was a festival and a reason to celebrate. So, and there was like beer fest all the time. Yeah, so they basically would, you know, if it was a town hosting it, they would just have a bunch of big tables, kind of in their town square area. Okay. You go and you buy a liter of beer or half liters, kind of whatever the, the kind of season was. And you could get to all these towns from where we were, I mean, within like 15 minutes, you could get oh, yeah. to Heppenheim Center, Weinheim, and we lived in Zwingenberg, and you could, they all had their own little festivals. So you could just, go to a different one every weekend. And it was a lot of celebrating community, a lot of street food, you know, German street food, which we loved, um, and just meeting friends for a beer. And then the bigger ones, of course, like you went to yeah. Berlin's Fest in Stuttgart. Yeah. And then we went to, which is, I would call it like a tamer version of Oktoberfest, yeah. a little more personable, yeah, you can have conversation, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, Oktoberfest is just crazy. Yeah, we went um, to it. It was awesome, but. It would not be the first on my list of things to return to when I go back to Germany. Brewing Fest, though, I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Okay. We're hosting a Brewing Fest in um, two weeks. Very nice. We'll have to sure to post that date. Um, as you guys were putting this place together, obviously, German influence, Colorado nature. Uh, is there any specific breweries where you guys kind of got some ideas of inspiration from as you guys were kind of putting the aesthetic together? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I'd say it was more um, us kind of pulling the aspects that maybe we didn't see in other breweries um, and kind of bringing that all together. Um, or, or you see an occasion where like the more of the concepts, like like lots of natural light, 
or garage doors. These are all things that um, we wanted to incorporate. And then, you yeah. know, for us, you know, we we enjoy kind of that, that nature feel. So we knew that even without seeing it, I guess, before, that we wanted to incorporate you know, some nice natural wood and stuff into our, our building as well. Yeah, we had vision boards that, like, kind of laid out. We knew exactly what, it, what we wanted it to look like. Um, and, like, from Germany, having that beer hall feel. And so that's kind of what it is over there is like, you know, you, there are some longer tables in the tap room. Um, but then we wanted the cozy spaces where you could go and just like, if you by yourself and want to read a book, you can curl up in a comfy chair. If you want to meet other people, sit at a community table. We try to have those different, almost like you might, I would never compare it to a coffee shop, but you get that experience a little bit like sure. in a coffee shop too. So yeah, I don't know if there was necessarily another brewery that, but maybe a collaboration of many that we visited over the years of just different aspects that we knew. Very nice. Well, obviously our beer scene here in Indiana has grown over the years. I remember sitting down with Dave Cold or, or Dave over at Triton, and when they started, there was 40-something breweries, now there's over 180. As you guys are kind of putting your foothold into the Indianapolis community, what other beers other than your own from the area do you like to partake in? Well, we're still a relatively new brewery. We hardly get to go out ever. Um, but, but I know, I think for me it'd be having a chance to actually visit friends at different breweries. Um, you know, like Black Acre, Black Circle, um, you can have the Pax Beer at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just a lot of people that we've made friends with over time, just having that chance to actually go visit the breweries. Absolutely, yeah, I live uh, in Noblesville, so uh, Lapel's not that far from me, so I've gotten to know Jason Colt pretty well over these, yeah. that's, especially coming out of the pandemic, it was like between them and Primeval, they were mm-hmm. supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, to where, up there too. Yeah, Fields up in, uh, in Westfield. Sat down with uh, with Ryan and Jackie yeah. and them and those guys. Of course, the way out fast was fun because you get all these different concoctions. I mean, Ryan and Field made like dill pickled beer, and I was like, <laughs> I didn't know if it would be good. And I tried it. I'm like, damn, that's that's actually pretty. That's actually pretty tasty. Uh, but you guys, like, I was I was scrolling through like some social media. You guys are becoming fan favorites. You just won like uh, the any beer review. I was just flipping through my thing, and you guys were like fan voted as the winner of his like final mm-hmm. final four thing. So you are getting, even though you're relatively new, you're still getting a, a great football here. So that's that's cool to see. Um, now, obviously, the taps and all the beers that you had are are your successes. I like asking this question, especially from having a homebrewing background. It's like give me a fun story around a failure that maybe you were trying to mix together but just came out dead on arrival. Well, and so over in the basement of the house, so we had a couple of one-barrel fermenters that we'd experiment with. Um, and so one of the ones that we thought you know, sounded really good would be like the strawberry hefeweizen. Which people do. And they which, get a success. Which, which you do. And, you know, we, we, we thought it sounded great. You know, um, the, the challenge is if you actually want to use, you know, real strawberry, which which we do. So part of our philosophy is using real ingredients. So we're going to work with extracts. We don't use concentrates, things like that. Um, and so funny thing is, when you try and you know, use normal strawberry in the hayfeisen. The hayfeisen itself is not sweet enough to make it taste like strawberry. So once it ferments out, the whole thing just kind of smells like a foot. Like it was, <laughs> it was really it bad. Did really, yeah, it did not pass there. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, you taste it. It like it was fine, but you just couldn't pass the smell of it because it just the, the smell of strawberry with no sweetness to it is not good. Um, so yeah, that one did not go any further than that. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites of all time was Andrew Mashcraft said he tried to do a bacon beer and he couldn't find a way to render the fat. So it was just, you know, but you know, it's got like some that are tinkering like with bourbon age stuff and all that. My, my palate either wants a beer or wants a bourbon. And people always disagree with me on that, but that's just, that's just me, right? So yeah. 
Um, well, one of the things I do in my day day to day when I meet with my clients is I, you know, I always just tell them there's just four challenges to creating spendable wealth for yourself. As you guys kind of get come out of the pandemic and move forward, is there any specific challenges that you guys are looking to overcome here in the short term uh, to benefit the brewery long term? Yeah, it's a good question. I think right now I've been here, but it's like we're still. So we opened this last June, so not even a year, and like I said, it's it's large. Um, and so just the like startup expenses that we still have of things like um, trying to get past some of those. And then you're on to like maintenance, maintenance expenses that we're gonna have obviously every year. But we're excited to get past some of that stuff. Like we wanna put a pergola outside so we don't have to buy umbrellas every year. Um, it's just a lot of like expenses like that that you might have a really good month but then it's like, well, then we gotta buy all these other things. So yeah. Yeah, a lot of things you don't necessarily think of. Like, you know, this is, acoustically is not bad, but like, Soundproofing the space, you know, or you know, sound, whatever you want to call it, dampening of the space is expensive. Right. Um, but it so, would be a really added bonus to our clients that book out this space, or when we have live music in yeah. here. So. so it's all these little things that you keep kind of popping up. You're like, okay, well, we had no came up, and now we're, we're having no this. this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's ebbs and flows, and you know, it's our not even third year yet, so we're learning a lot as we go as well. Very good. Are you guys getting a lot of people coming back to the large event space that are kind of paying you for events and private events? It seems like some of the places are starting to come back. Oh yeah, with yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of receptions for people that got married during COVID and then want to have their reception. Um, oh, very nice. And a lot of corporate events, which is great. So, I met someone last night who was here for a corporate event like two weeks ago, and she. It was just. It, it's a nice way to for more exposure. Okay, so as far as the soundproofing, what uh, what would you what would you need to do to this space to kind of make it more soundproof? Add well, some panels. Yeah, basically panels, like panels. Yeah, some basic stuff like that. Okay. All right. Well, most most breweries have food, and they try to do their pairings with regards to it. Obviously, you guys have great food here. I love the potato pancakes, man. That's <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's always a that's always a favorite of mine. Was food always part of the vision uh, alongside the brewery, or was it something that, hey, we can, we got this large space, we can... Yeah. It was always in the plants, um, a little bit different than it, than how it turned out, which it turned out, I think, the best way it probably could have. So when we were in the house, we were getting sandwiches from Goose Market, and we'd heat them up in the convection oven, and we'd bust, like, in the pretzels, so we had pretzels and sandwiches <laughs> in that tiny little house, and then when we turned it, we would turn it out. It was... Insane, and so we knew. Obviously, we wanted to, if we could, keep that revenue in house, or at least there's two things that would be nice. But we knew we needed a food option no matter what, because people stay around longer, people want to eat with with food, um, and they don't want to have to or eat with beer. They don't want to always have to bring it in from outside either. So the initial path we had looked down was having like a, a partner outfit the kitchen and run the whole thing and like pay rent to us. But like after the pandemic, it was just hard to find like a partner willing to dive into that, mm. not knowing necessarily what it would really turn out to be. So we opened the cabin kitchen as a separate business within like a, we're still the owners of it, but we've been able to run it separately, which worked out for us because we didn't want to be a brew pub at all. We didn't want table service. We wanted to be a, a brewery feel beer first, but a really awesome program too. Yeah, and that's, Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So yeah, from the very beginning, we always wanted to be known as a brewery first. Yeah. Or at least, you know, at least establish ourselves as a brewery first. You know, we, won't, we didn't want to be known as like a brew pub or they had, you know, and they happen to have beer too. It was always, you know, we want to be known to have a great beer and then bring food in kind of later on. Yeah. Very. We've been, we've been, like 
our team is amazing in there. Our chef like is so creative, new specials all the time. We're getting ready to roll out some new stuff. I think people will be excited about. Oh, that's fantastic. That's yeah. going to be my next question. Is you guys just going to plan to have just the same menu live on, or are you going to be doing more seasonal stuff? So that's, that's Yeah, cool. like we're going to expand it a little bit. Some Like most of the, well, everything is sticking around, and then we're adding like two more salads, another flatbread. Duck wings were special, and they became very popular. Like people call in to see if we have duck wings on special, so those are going to get added to the menu. Um, and then we're working on our pretzel a little bit to give it a little upgrade. Yeah, I've never had duck wings before. Me either. Yeah, they're not my thing. They smell really good, and people okay. love them. So, all right. Um, well, that's but I got to do another Yeah. Okay. Well, everybody likes to have a, kind of this community atmosphere inside the brew halls, but this, you know, that term can mean a lot of different things, a lot of different people. What, what are you guys looking to do or looking to build as far as community, and what does that, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's kind of a few different aspects to that, I think. I was at an event last night for in broader pouring samples, and we live there, and so it's just cool to be like amongst other people that live there too. Um, but they said that we say like I don't I can't quote it exactly, but she's like you you guys saved me during COVID because I was able to come and like sit outside, and that was like my place to go, and like from that we've had people continue to come here. But during COVID, it was outside only, table service, and I th I don't know if many places weren't offering that. I think they were, but like we were consistent with it. So people always kind of go back to that as like that was I don't know a community was built around that for sure. Well, I think and part then, of it was too, it was, it was oh, we kept the beer garden open year-round, yeah. so it was, which was amazing to see the, the fan kind of falling, like it would be freezing outside, and people would still be out there. And ski clubs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and I, that, that just created, yeah, that created some cool camaraderie amongst people as well. But the other big aspect of communities, like trivia nights, we have people that come every Wednesday for trivia, they've got to know people, or we had a Euchre League, and people got to know other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and having that choice, like I said, if people want to come and just hang out by themselves, there's options for that. If they want to come and like engage in a different event, there's that too. And then lastly, community-wise, like we've always said, like we make beer and we want to have this space. This is our business. It's like our our livelihood. But we also want to use it as like a platform for something else. So we've tried to really tie into the local neighborhood, especially the schools lately. Um, and we're doing like a year-round collection drive that we have in the entryway. They have, at the locals, there's two that we really partner with a lot. They have pan, food pantries. And we did one big drive last Christmas and they were able to like, one of the schools actually started a pantry based on our donations. And there's kids that like need stuff on the weekends, you know? And so, or uniforms, or diapers and wipes are needed right now. And we're kind of seeing like an effect of, we might have a group come in here in this event space and they're looking for some nonprofit tie-in. Well, they can bring donations. Um, and it's just cool to see, even though it's like, it might be small, it's at least starting somewhere, so. Fantastic, yeah. well, I, I love that you said diapers and wipes because I'm actually the board treasurer for the Indiana Diaper Bank. Oh, are you? Yeah. And uh, you know, the pandemic was something that was very unique. I mean, we, uh, a lot of our distribution partners were kind of in a holding pattern, so we opened up a pantry one Saturday of every yeah. month. I think it's 250, 300 cars long some oh, days, yeah. 180 I mean, some days. How expensive everything is, it's like, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of social programs don't cover the cost of diapers. It's mostly just food and whatnot. So, so yeah, I'd love to talk to you guys more about yeah, that, for sure. especially as a distribution spot. Because uh, over here on the Speedway, obviously, you know, a lot of our partners are through most of mm -hmm. uh, of the Indiana, greater Indianapolis area. I mean, I even had somebody drive in from Terre Haute. 
Okay. One that she apparently like, probably spent more on gas to get here than. Well, but yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, That's what we learned too, it's like just the logistics. Like there might be resources available. And we've been able to, on a small scale, but like connect people that had food they wanted to donate and connecting them directly to the social workers so that they could like make that happen. Mm. So yeah, we can chat. <laughs> Interesting. Um, you know, obviously you guys are doing a lot of things with the hazies, Pilsners are starting to come back. Is there any other trends that you're seeing that you guys are gonna wanna tinker with? Or is it kind of just sticking to what you got on the table right now? I mean, there are things that we're working on now still. I mean, there's, as far as, you know, we'll continue, you know, we love the hazies, we love milkshakes, we love the fruit sours and all that. So we, we still continue that. Um, one thing we're building up now is our barrel program. So we're going to allow, you know, uh, bourbon barrel aged beers. Um, we'll try and do some, you know, possibly barrel aged, uh, like Saison's, some things like that too. Um, continue to build that up. Um, otherwise, you know, eventually getting some wild, you know, spontaneous type fermentation. That's down. Yeah, well, all this takes a long time. Like, so we we filled barrels, you know, last year that we know we won't even open until you know, maybe mid this year. Um, so it, it's lots of hand built up over time. Okay. Um, as far as you know, things like you know, I'm not sure. I guess what is the most popular? I think coming up right now. But like, for example, like seltzers. Like we, you know, we made a name for ourselves doing all these other beers. Um, we, and the beers that we make are things that we're passionate about and things that we really enjoy. Um, and seltzers, at least up to this point, have been one of those things that we've decided you know, it's not for us. We won't see it on our menu for a while. Um, you know, but you know, if something else comes out soon, like you know, we're gonna get ready to um, do a collaboration where we're gonna do a, a cold IPA, which you might have heard of. Basically, more of like a West Coast version, kind of like a Pilsner. Um, yes, yeah, so we're gonna do one of those soon, and I think that'll be you know enjoyable. Um, but otherwise, you know. Really, if it's a new fad, it has to be something we really enjoy um, for us to pursue it. Gotcha. Yeah. But we have like our half of our system that we use in the basement is our pilot system now. So we are open to like trying all kinds of styles. Yeah. A lot of times the night before, he's like, "What should we learn?" Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to like come up with a new style. So well, we're yeah, always so open to things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for like but, this, this past winter, kind of one of our focuses was okay. You know, we really enjoy these pastry styles, but we really haven't made any up to this point. Um, and so, you know, for like two months straight, we tied up our pilot system, making pastry stouts with mm -hmm. different versions and trying different recipes and different, you know, ingredients with them, um, and it turned out really good. And so this next year, as we get more back into the cooler season, you know, we'll start bringing some of those back and the experiences from that. So through those, have you guys had any partnerships with any groups that have like gone into the milkshakes or, um, you know, like you look at Sun King, what they've done with Jack's Donuts, like the chocolate donut mm -hmm. stout and stuff like that is, are those ideas that you guys are looking to pair as you guys kind of craft these? these other, you know, Yeah, we, we haven't done anything, well, we did do marshmallows. That was kind of the biggest. Well, and like for example, like addition. Tinker Coffee. That was so we partner with them, we get basically a cold brew from them um, that we use for like our house blend. Um, we have a couple of coffee stouts we've made. And so we'll continue to use them for making some sort of coffee kind of inspired. You know, yeah, they're right around the corner here. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah, yeah. Just down the street. We haven't gone crazy though with like the other like cookies and donuts and that kind of thing yet. No. <laughs> and nothing against that. We just but sure. hasn't been a priority for us. No, I mean it's uh, you know you mentioned seltzers. You know it's, it seems like uh, there's a trend where when a brewery starts to get to a certain size, they transition from a brewery to a beverage company. Mm -hmm. And you've seen multiple players do it in the states. Um, is that something long term that you guys want to get outside of? Maybe just not just seltzers, but many more, or you just want to focus on the 
Well, and for us, so I, I was an engineer before basically I got into brewing, um, and so I'm very familiar with the production environment and all that, and I, I knew that we basically need to get this to a certain size where it's you know, sustainable to where you know, we're not all here working 60, 80, 100 hours a week. Um, you know, we built a big enough team you know, with different expertise and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, we, and we also knew, you know, we built this space out and it's about 10,000 square feet or so is dedicated to brewing itself. Uh, and so, you know, we'll basically, the next couple of years, we'll start filling up our basically warehouse space right now that doesn't really have much in it besides storage and really kind of grow that. So we know at the space we get maybe five to 10,000 barrels. Um, and so basically kind of continue to work towards that out of our routine, you know, along those lines. But that, yeah, that's sticking to mainly the beer. Okay. Or it's sticking all to beer, yeah. Now, do you guys uh, have thought about canning or focus on canning or distributing throughout the state, or you just want to have a central location where people come here and get it? challenge right now is we just have a single head filler. I mean, it's, it's automated, so, you know, push can in one side, comes out filled. Um, so it's like, just like a small version of the bigger production line, uh -huh. but, you know, the, the output is not high enough to where it makes sense to sell the stores. So we right now, we just can it for our house. Um, yeah. but we distribute can kegs, though, to um, a small list around the city, which we're trying to grow that, but that's a, a homegrown process of self-distribution. Yeah, it seems like a lot of guys, a lot of different breweries kind of, you know, found cans through the pandemic and now it's become a, a bigger part of their business model. And that's just kind of one of these things is changing and adapting as the environment does, right? So um, now as far as kind of, this is my last question for you guys. Um, you know, when I sit down with a client or business owner for the first time, I always ask them the same question. Um, if we were to sit down three years from now, what do you want to accomplish? It could be professional, financial, emotional, to where if we got to that point, we can look back and say our time spent together was valuable and we're on the right track. As it pertains to Dugman House Brewing, what do you guys want to accomplish over the next three years that if we sat down and did another podcast, then you could say, all right, we, we met every goal we wanted to do and now we're up and we're going further. Yeah. What do you say? How many barrels do you want to get? Well, size from like a brewing perspective you know I want to be in the, the three to five thousand barrel range um, you know for us that's it's enough to where you can build up a good team to where one person's gone you know, you're not just like completely overloading the rest of the team that's there um, it also gives us a ch you know a chance for us to take some time off too as we too you know, it's not something we really be able to do in the last three years and it sure would be nice um, but yeah just continue to, to grow and you know you know improve our beer um, and you know eventually buy a new brew house to where you know we have a pretty small brew house right now, but and we, we bought it because um, one, it was a deal that we couldn't pass up about five years ago when we bought it, thinking it was going to be our first system we were going to brew on. Uh, and right now, it's you know we already basically outgrew it just coming into the space, um, but that's what we had, so we made it work. But you know, eventually, new brew house where we're not brewing, you know, two three times a day, um, you know, and it will be easier on the, the brew guys too as we're growing. Uh, but really, yeah, it's need to make the improve the brew operation to where, you know, it basically get the right team in place where it's more sustainable. Yeah, so in three years, we will have our second location finalized. Oh, very nice. Uh, and we're gonna be very picky about it. And, um, well, three years. We have a bigger location, that, not bigger than this, but like a bigger project that we're gonna go after. So at that three year mark, I'm sure that's gonna strategic plan we made for this year. I don't know if it was three or five, I'm pretty sure it's three. I want, we'll, we'll have that in the works. With you guys being so close to the Speedway, are you thinking going more north? 
For this one in particular, it would probably be within, um, it would be out of like the city a little bit. Yes. But we'll see. Yeah. Very nice. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys for taking some time today. I enjoyed thank the conversation. You. Cheers. Cheers. All right, Gugman House, come see him. Over here on uh, Approaching Speedway, Derek Courtney, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate thank it. You. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. For the latest on Financial Views with Local Brews, please check out our website at financialviewswithlocalbrews.com. You can also find us on YouTube via our channel there under the same name, Financial Views with Local Brews, as well as follow us on all of our social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, where you can like and connect with us throughout the craft beer universe that we're trying to explore here in the great state of Indiana. As always, cheers. The next round's on me, and I look forward to seeing you for future episodes. Bye, everyone.